It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you, as always. Jerry, how are you? Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's been, what has it been, like three months we've been home? This is getting ridiculous. It is getting a little ridiculous. And New York is uh, supposedly going to open up, I think, the 8th of June. That's when we're going to start easing restrictions. And by the time you hear this, it'll be past that. So perhaps we'll right. be frolicking in New York by then. <laughs> you know, that's what we do, right? <laughs> every time I every time I step foot off the bus into Port Authority, I start to frolic. <laughs> that's what you do best. That no, That's for sure. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the RushCast. And email, Jar, as we pointed out last week, we are the RushCast at gmail.com. Don't get confused. Yeah, it's, it's the RushCast, T-H-E, not, you got you have to put that on there. There we go. So the RushCast at gmail.com. Jerry loves your emails. Keep them coming. And if you sent one weeks ago and you didn't get a reply, send it to the right place. Check your sent box. There you go. You can see whether, where you sent it to. That doesn't sound right. Sent box. <laughs> <laughs> sent file? That's a, that sounds only marginally better. <laughs> My scent file. Uh, the bass intro today was done by Lex, of course. We thank Lex for the bass intro, as always. And I've got a Twitter poll for you, Jar. I'm ready. Oh, great. We did side two of Permanent Waves not too long ago. No. Nope. I'll remind you of the songs, even though you don't need to be reminded. Entree New, Different Strings, Natural Science. Natural Science. Yeah. That was an easy one. <laughs> that was an easy one. How, how big a landslide do you think it was? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to say 65%. Wow, you were close. 68% really? oh, nice. of our listeners and Twitter followers chose natural science. Entree New came in second, 23%. And Different Strings, which is a great song, but up against natural science, it's, it's really no contest. No. 9% cool. chose Different Strings. So there's your Twitter poll for today. Do you have an email for us, Jerry? The email segment. The email, our new, our new segment. Our new unnamed email segment. Uh, oh, are we going to come up with a name? Yeah, let's do it. Not right now. Think about Not it. Not right now? Okay. I'm going to forget as soon as we stop recording. So I have an email from Steve Laurent. Steve Laurent. Okay, cool. Yes. He sent us this email. It says, I have been finishing my basement recently and had to spend the entire weekend painting. So I found your podcast on Spotify and decided to give it a try. I instantly got hooked and burned through the first 26 episodes in two days. What? He listened to us? Yeah. He listened to us talk for 26 hours straight? <laughs> I don't wow. Know 20, yeah, I, I guess so, right? And he's still sane? <laughs> and he still wants to listen. That's amazing. That's the weirdest part. I'm sorry. Continue. And it says, very similar to you two guys, I'm a lifelong Rush fan, I'm 52 years old, and my first real introduction to Rush was moving pictures. I've seen every tour since Grace Under Pressure, including the absolute best show ever at the Red Rock Amphitheater in August of 2007. Oh, wow. Wish I was there for that. Oh. Yeah. He says, it was absolutely mesmerizing, 12th row or so, right next to the mixing board. It was truly a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Wow. That's great. Yeah, he says, I just wanted to write to let you know that I got totally hooked on your podcast and love the way you break down every song. Even though I have been a fan for nearly 40 years, I learned more about the meaning, context, and purpose of the songs in one weekend 
than I have ever known. I just liked the music and never went much deeper. Wow. Yeah, well, that's the way I was too. Thanks for that email, by the way, first of all. But that's the way I was too. I'm, I'm learning a lot researching for this podcast and us talking about it is uh, expanding my knowledge of Rush and expanding my love for the band, really. that's Yeah, it's true. I feel the same way. Absolutely. Thanks to your research anyway. Oh, come on. You do much more research than me. Anyhow, moving pictures, Jared. We talked about basically Tom Sawyer last week. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I don't know. This might take us three or four podcasts to plow through. I mean, there's a lot here. There is a lot here, obviously, yeah. Yeah, we talked for a long time on Tom Sawyer. And it's such a great great, great album that it deserves a little more time and we're going to give it that. Yep. So track two on Moving Pictures, Jar is Red Barchetta. My uncle has a country place no one knows about. He says it used to be a farm before the So the first fun fact I have for you about Red Barchetta. Yes. Like Xanadu, this was recorded in one take. Yeah, I read that. That was going to be my surprise to you, but obviously <laughs> you know it. How crazy. I ruined the surprise right off the bat. I mean, just let that sink in, right? How <laughs> This song, one take. Now, I don't know if it was like the first take or they just used one take. Do you know? I don't know. But e- look, even so, even if it was the third time they attempted it and it was still done straight through, it's amazing. It is amazing. But one take? I know. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a feat on par with Xanadu. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just as good as Xanadu, I think, if not better. Rolling Stone listed the song at number five on their list of the 10 best Rush songs. Really? And I would have to agree with them that it's got to be in my, I, I know I keep saying this, it's got to be in my top <laughs> 10. This is absolutely, before I may have been lying, but this time it's absolutely positively in my top 10. I can't wait to see this top 10. <laughs> I'm going to have to jettison some songs that I claimed were going to be in the top 10 from the top 10. You're going to be using imaginary numbers, I think, to get this top 10 rolling. <laughs> And if you listen to our earlier podcasts, we mentioned the ultimate classic rock list a lot and how they rank the songs. This one, I think they got right. They listed this song at number three in their 167 Rush songs. Ooh, really? Yeah. So what, what, was, what was above? I don't remember. I don't remember. I just know this was number three. Well, what about the other one, the first one you mentioned? So the Rolling Stone list, Working Man was number four. Limelight was number three. 2112, number two, and Tom Sawyer is number one. Hmm. Your thoughts? I don't, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree. Well, of course, I always disagree with Rolling Stone. But, <laughs> That's true. But I do agree that Red Barchetta would be in my t- personal top 10. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that everyone loves Working Man, and I, I love it too when they played it live, but I wouldn't put it in top five. I wouldn't put Working Man in my top 10. Right. I mean, I love, I love working, man. I love most Rush songs, but yeah. working man would not make my top 10. Well, at least we know what song's not going to be in your top 10. Yes. We know one song that is not going to be in my <laughs> top 10. 
So the lyrics for this song, Jer, as I'm sure you are well aware, were inspired by the short story, A Nice Morning Drive by Richard S. Foster. Yep. Which was originally written in the November 1973 edition of Road and Track Magazine. That's right. Which is amazing that Neil happened to be reading this particular issue of Road and Track Magazine. I was curious if he had read it at the time and just kind of held on to the idea, or like, did he find an old magazine like in a doctor's office or something and, and was just like, wow, this is a great story. I don't know. I think, I think he read it, probably read it back in 1973 and just held on to it or remembered the story. Did you read the story? I read the story. Yeah, I read the story. I think that Red Barchetta is definitely a triumph of Neil's imagination. Oh, absolutely. The source material is kind of dull, if you ask me. Yeah, I didn't think it was a great short story. I'm surprised that Neil loved it so much, or maybe he didn't and just liked the idea of it. Well, yeah, whatever it was, he was he gravitated toward to the best parts of the story, the chase at the end. Yeah. And he sets up a completely different story and a much more interesting one. I was expecting a much different story when I read it. Weren't you? I had read it a a number of years ago and didn't, you know, I was like, whatever. I just liked it. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's a fine story back back, you know, back in the sixties and the seventies, you could make a pretty decent living just writing short stories because there were so many magazines that would publish short stories. Right. And so since there were so many magazines, they were just hard up for content or sort of like the, you know, websites today, they're just hard up for content. The only difference of course, is that magazines paid money, <laughs> actual money to people. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that's how it got published. I mean, road and track magazines, not really known for its, you know, short stories. It's not the Atlantic or something. Do you know how much Richard Foster got for the short story? I don't. $200. That is a lot of money back in 1973. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I found, I don't know if you saw this, but I found a blog post by Richard Foster explaining his relationship with the song Red Barchetta. Did you see this? Yeah. What was it? It was called the, what was it called? The Drummer, the Private Eye, and Me. Right. Yeah. It was about his afternoon travel with uh, Neil. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, I was going to read a little bit of it. Did you want to hear any of it? or I've already read it, but <laughs> I've already read it. This is a little long, so, uh, so bear with me. Back in 1972, I was studying for my graduate school comprehensive exams. Suddenly, an idea for a fiction short story occurred to me, and I promptly started writing. The story, titled A Nice Morning Drive, was set in the distant future. It involved modern safety vehicles, or MSVs, that could damage older pre-safety bumper cars without incurring any harm themselves. With a mixture of hope and presumption, I sent it off to Road and Track magazine, and they decided to publish it. They even paid me $200. The article appeared in the November 1973 issue. Neil Peart, who had joined Rush a couple of years earlier, who had been a sports car enthusiast all his life, read the story. Flash forward to 1980, he decided to write a song for the band featuring a science fiction storyline inspired by the R&T article. He substituted his all-time favorite car, a Ferrari 166MM, for the MGB from A Nice Morning Drive. He also portrayed a more extreme, futuristic setting involving a man and machine confrontation with the man in a totalitarian world that had outlawed cars altogether. So that, that I guess, wasn't in 
Richard's original story, the uh, the motor law? No, I mean, it, it's kind of a nebulous kind of thing in the story about why he's driving this particular car. And I guess, it's, I guess smaller cars are outlawed. Is that the deal in the story? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And there's these huge clunky cars that aren't as susceptible to damage. And he's, he's going too fast, I suppose. Yep, yep. So Richard goes on to say, at the time, Neil tried to get in touch with me, but Road and Track no longer had my correct address. So he added a citation at the end of the song's lyrics in the liner notes. So I guess he tried to get a hold of Richard to thank him for the inspiration. Right. So flash forward again to 1996, we had just gotten internet access in my office, and one of the guys entered my name into a search engine, and it took him to a Rush fan site where there was an online copy of my story. We figured out the connection between my story and Red Barchetta and marveled at how many years we had failed to discover it. So then he flash forwards again, this time to 2006. Richard wrote a letter to Neil saying how much he liked Ghost Rider, the book, and explaining that he was the Richard S. Foster from A Nice Morning Drive all those years ago. I wasn't especially optimistic that Neil would even get the letter since he and the other band members received thousands every year. But in early January... I received a package containing a copy of his newest book, Roadshow. It had a very nice inscription on the title page. There was also a long letter in the package. So Neil, of course, wrote him back. You know Neil would. Oh, yeah. He was probably very excited. Oh, totally. And in the letter, Neil remarked how many connections they had between us, dating roughly back 35 years. And then, of course, they ended up riding bikes together. Yeah. And in the blog post, there's a whole bunch of pictures of Richard Foster and Neil and Neil invited him to a rush show. And there's pictures of Richard at the rush show. Yeah. And just very cool of Neil to do that. It is. I think it's also one picture of uh, the two of them together. And Richard is taller than Neil. He must be like yeah. six, five, six, six. Yeah. Neil is tall. He is tall, but Richard was taller. So anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, the one thing about the story that's interesting is, you know, it focuses more, I think, at the time, you know, there was a lot of safety, new safety rules for cars and stuff like that. So I think that's where the story comes from. It's sort of like a, you know, like a semi-dystopian future where the government just makes cars too safe mm -hmm. and ugly and stuff like that. You know, so they're like losing whatever makes a car uh, lovable, you know, because there were, they were like seatbelt laws and, and um, you know, speed limit laws and things like that. But Neil takes it to a, a different level. Oh, he totally as does. As he always does, yeah. Shall we go through the lyrics before we talk about the music? Uh, sure, why not? Oh, you know what? I wanted to say, if anybody wanted to actually read A Nice Morning Drive, there's this website called Scribed. It's um, spelled S-C-R-I-B-D.com. And you can register for free and you can read it. It's on there. Oh, That's cool. That's where I found it. And I found it on Power Windows, so. Oh, okay. That's easier, too. You can read it there, too. <laughs> So the lyrics, Jer, this is like most of the other songs on this record, very cinematic. You can feel yourself in the situation. Yeah. This is like the, the, a close cousin to Jacob's ladder. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So it starts out. My uncle has a country place that no one knows about. He says it used to be a farm before the motor law. So again, this is this fictional motor law we're talking about. Right. And we never really find out what the motor law is, but I guess we can assume that it's banning all cars? Is that what you assume? I assume that it's banning certain types of cars, not all cars. Cars of the type that his uncle has. Gasoline-powered cars? 
I don't know if it's gasoline-powered cars, but maybe cars that go a certain speed. Oh, I always assumed it was. You know what? I, I remember this movie, and I had to look it up, and I found that there's a Lee Majors movie. Yes. <laughs> Did you see what's the name of that? It's called The Last Chase, Lee Majors and Burgess <laughs> Meredith. <laughs> yeah. I watched that movie a couple of times when I was younger. You know, he, he, in that movie, he, um, all cars are outlawed because people can't use gasoline or something like that. Oh, well, well that's, do you know that movie was also inspired by the same short story, the Richard S. Foster story? Yes. That I didn't know. Yeah. Well, that's why you made the connection. It's based on the same story. Yeah. And in, and in the the movie, his, uh, Burgess Meredith, I guess is, you know, his uncle or his dad, and he had saved a car, uh, uh, you know, and internal combustion engine car uh-huh. and wrapped it all up in pieces and like hit it under the floorboards of his house or something like that. And he majors, <laughs> he had, he has a, like a, like a falling down moment and he's just like, I'm just going to take my car back out and he puts it back together. Well, he is the fall guy. He is the fall guy. <laughs> <laughs> Only our older listeners will get that one. That's true. Yeah. And you know, the thing is with the beginning of this song, again, Neil, tells you everything you need to know about the basis of this song in four lines. Oh yeah. Which is incredible. It is incredible. It's such an economy is it's unbelievable how economic this song is lyrically. So Sundays I elude the eyes. Now I interpret that as somebody who's watching over me. Well, I, I, I would, I assumed it was like, um, surveillance, you know, like a surveillance state. Type oh, of thing. Oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess I was sort of right in a way. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is a more dystopian future, I think. Okay. A nice morning drive. So they're being monitored by the government to make sure it's like 1984 type of thing. I think, I think. And the turbine freight is a train, correct? I would imagine so. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what, what a turbine freight would be. I'm not sure what a turbine is. Well, I looked it up. Uh, A turbine freight is a train. Powered by turbines? <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. So, too far outside the wire where my white-haired uncle waits. What is the wire, Jer? You know, uh, again, dystopian-wise, I think that it would be like outside of maybe like city walls or outside of where the government wants you to go. You know what I mean? Like there might be like a, a point where the government's like, you know, that's kind of like the forbidden zone type of thing, like in Planet of the Apes. Okay. So you don't go outside there. We want you to stay in here. And they have all of this surveillance equipment to make sure that nobody does go past this one point. And of course, he escapes the eyes and, and does just that. All right. So now we, now we get into, I guess, I don't know whether we call this a, a bridge or, or what we call this. Yeah. We, we call this amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is amazing. Jump to the ground as the turbo slows to cross the borderline. Yeah, I think that's so the borderline thing, I think, is, you know, another reference sort of to where, you know, the wire is, right? The borderline between state and non-state. So he's still on his way to his uncle's house here. Yeah. Run like the wind as excitement shivers up and down my spine. He's getting excited about the drive to come. And so are we. I mean, this is when the music, right? This is part of the music where it just starts to pick up. Oh, yeah. And it's just, from here on, it's smooth sailing. The song is just taking us on a ride. And Getty's voice gets progressively kind of higher pitched. Yeah, especially when he says spine. I love the way he says spine. (laughs) (laughs) 
Down in this barn, my uncle preserved for me an old machine for 50-odd years. To keep it as new has been his dearest dream. Yeah, so that makes me think that this is a long time coming, right? Like, that whatever laws are in place, it's been at least 50 years since whatever has been enacted and his uncle has kept this machine, this car, in this state for at least 50 years. That's crazy. I mean, is that what you, you get? Yeah, oh, it? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is my favorite point in the song right here, where after Getty says his dearest dream, you hear the harmonics there. And just that yeah. little that little moment before they kick in, do I strip away the old debris? That right, just that little moment there is just, yeah. You know, I don't know what it is about that moment that just I love. I think it for me it's it's a little it's like a dreamy moment, you know what I mean? Like he's in the barn and he sees the car again and he's so happy to see this thing and it just those harmonics that just kind of pick off. It just reminds me of being like elated. But Rush captures that moment so perfectly. It's insane. I, it's I don't know what it is. There there are a bunch of little moments on this record, Jar. Yeah. It's almost silence. And the silence is the best part of the song for me. Right. It is. It's true. It's a little millisecond of silence there. Yeah. It's just, just amazing. I don't, I don't know even how to describe it. No. So anyway, he reveals the car here. I strip away the old debris that hides a shining car, a brilliant red barchetta from a better vanished time. Right. They're a, a better vanished time. Yeah. This is not a good time that we're in now. No, we're not in a good time with what, with the wire and the eyes (laughs) (laughs) fire up the willing engine responding with a roar tires, spitting gravel. I commit my weekly crime. Yeah. See, this is again, the thing that makes the, the, this song to me so amazing is the small details in the lyrics that really, you know, push this story along. I mean, it really is a short story Mm -hmm. in a song. It's incredible, you know what I mean? I, I, I commit my weekly crime. He doesn't have to tell you what the crime is, right? He's setting the stage that he's doing something terribly illegal. Well, I think the crime is just driving the car. It's just driving the car. So, I mean, so like he doesn't have to say, I commit my weekly crime of driving this car around because you already know kind of what's, gonna, what's coming up, you know what right. I mean? Right, the crime is driving the car. And it, and, and it is up for interpretation, really. I mean, that's how we interpret it. That's how I think... You should interpret it, but yeah, could be something else. Right. Now, now this point of the song, the guitar here, Jar, is just, just incredible. Alex's guitar sound here. Yeah. The wind in my hair portion. Yeah. You can, you can feel the wind. You can feel it. Yeah. And the speed of the car, you can feel it. Mechanical music. And then when it gets an adrenaline surge, Neil does this incredible fill. The drums on this song are out of this world too. Right. And right now the guy's driving this car and having a great, great time. Now, speaking of driving cars, this is a song to be in the car. Listening to this song is probably one of the best songs to listen to while driving. Yeah. I've never had a, a, a nice enough car though. That I would smell <laughs> well-weathered leather. 
What about the Maverick, Jer? When I smell hot metal and oil, it's not a good smell, you know? <laughs> but you've smelled that before. <laughs> yeah, it's usually just because my engine's been burning oil. Rusty metal and oil, more like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well-weathered pleather. <laughs> uh, what is the country air scented with? Oh, this country, <laughs> right? It's again, it's fresh air. It's outside. You know, it's, it's that, the typical like sci-fi thing where there's a, the mechanical side, then there's the more pastoral side. And that's where he is, right? He's, he's free from whatever the government has established. Now he's out in the country riding and you know, driving this car, like total freedom. Now in this society is the scented country air. Is that a thing that you don't get to smell normally? You think? That's what I think, yeah. Because, you know, huge cities, they have their own smells. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Not many of them are pleasant. But just the imagery of of this part, sunlight on chrome, the blur of the landscape, every nerve aware. I know. So perfectly written, really. For some reason, I always imagine uh, that this car is a convertible. I don't know why. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know. I never even looked up what a Barchetta, what a Barchetta looks like. It's a convertible. Is it really? Yeah. I've got a picture of it. I, I don't know. This is on Wikipedia. I don't know how accurate this is. Yeah, it's, it's probably close enough. It's a convertible. There you go. And Barchetta means small boat in Italian. Did you know that? I did not know that. So now we get to the next section. Well, we get to the solo. Oh, right. The solo. Incredible. Again, we've spoken before about Alex's emotive solos. And this one, yeah, this one is way up there in, in the ranking of great solos, not only by Rush, but just like of all time, just to capture the essence of the entire song. And one take? I mean, <sighs> I know. Come on, man. Dude, Tiano, dude, stop being so hot. How is Alex <laughs> not up there with the greatest guitarists that have ever lived? I know. Just to be able to do this? I mean, it's crazy. Right. His name should be mentioned with, you know, Hendrix. I don't think it's that crazy to say. I really don't. No, I don't think so either. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, this solo just kind of just, again, the song just keeps going in, pardon the pun, higher gear after higher gear, you know? And this solo definitely brings up all of this, all of the emotions of this person driving this car and how much fun it is and how free he feels just in time for everything to, at least story-wise, to hit a big roadblock. Again, no pun intended. Yeah. Then we get another transition in the song. Uh, Suddenly ahead of me across the mountainside, a gleaming alloy air car shoots towards me two lanes wide. So yeah, two lanes wide, it's a big car. Right. And of course, it's a that plants. That's a little seed that he plants, that Neil plants. Yes. In order to you know set up the end of the song, he has to mention that it's two lanes wide, which I again I just love. Yeah, it's, it's economic. Just, it it really is. It's great. And I and I think this is one of the things that's faithfully borrowed from the story, the short story. Yes, the ending for sure. 
is that those those um, safety vehicles or whatever are so huge. But here, it seems to me that they're like government vehicles patrolling to make sure that people are, you know, not doing whatever the government doesn't want them to do. Yeah. Maybe this guy didn't really elude the eyes as well as he had thought. <laughs> Maybe not. Right? And so that they know where he is and they start coming for him. Oh, so you think the people that are in these other cars are the government or something? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. See, I never, I never thought of it that way. I thought there were just two other people like him out on a joyride. Oh, I was, I was interpreting the whole <laughs> thing as being this metaphor for, you know, government control. Just the man against, man against the man, I suppose. A man against the man. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes, that makes way more sense. Because I spin around with shrieking tires to run the deadly race. Because if he gets caught, what's, well. He's meat. He's, he's dead meat. He goes screaming through the valley as another joins the chase. So now he's got two after him. Yeah, he's not, you know, he, he's being chased by these things. He's not racing them like, uh, like, you know, some kind of drag race. These things are chasing him. He's being pursued. That makes a lot more sense. I'm glad you're here, Jim. <laughs> and then, then to drive like the wind, straining the limits of machine and man, laughing out loud with fear and hope. I love that. Can you imagine? I mean, because he is just like out of his mind. First, he's was so happy driving this car. And then a second later, he's fearing what could happen to him because he's driving this car. And he turns around and he's just like laughing his head off. I love that image. And then he concocts his desperate plan to drive over the one lane bridge. And there we go. Two lanes wide, one lane bridge. Yep. That doesn't work, does it? No, sure doesn't. You have to wonder too if uh, maybe uh, someone in the countryside did that on purpose. Oh yeah, perhaps. Right. Kind of built this one lane bridge, knowing that these gigantic two lane, um, cars or whatever they are. I always picture them as hovercraft types. What's your image of these cars that are chasing him? No, or things I, that are chasing well, him. I don't know. I just, I picture them as actual cars, but you could be, you could be right. Because when it says a gleaming alloy air car, I just picture them as being almost like flying saucers hovering. Could be. Could be. I don't, could, I don't know. What it, whatever's in your mind is what it is, Jer. Right. Interpret it how you like. Yeah. And then he, uh, at the one lane bridge, I leave the giants stranded at the riverside, race back to the farm to dream with my uncle at the fireside. Amazing. And the song here, just the way it ends is amazing too. And I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but I think, I think the live version of this song. I know what you're going to say. Yep from exit stage left is much better because it has an ending. You could make a case for the fade too, but I like yeah. it with the actual ending. Well, the song also fades in. Yes. Fades in and fades out, which to me, when it fades in and fades out, it kind of seems like a circular type of song. Like it could begin again. You know what I right. mean? And maybe that's what this guy does. He's well, this, he goes every week to his grand, to his uncle's house, right? Mm-hmm. His weekly crime. His weekly crime. Right. So maybe that's why the, those alloy air cars are after him, because maybe they're getting complaints from people that someone's been driving a car around and they're just kind of looking for him. Could be. He's doing it every week. Could be. Yeah. So I have a quote from Neil about cars. Oh, cool. In general. Yeah. This, is, this was on the Exit Stage Left DVD, but I had heard it. I have a, like a, I don't know if it's a bootleg, some rando CD that I have that has like, um, Neil talking about some of the songs. I think it was from the radio, recorded off the radio. Okay. 
It says, it seems to me that a car has been one of the standard metaphors and volumes have been written about the sociological and cultural impact of the car and what it represents, but it also has a very fundamental sensual appeal, and it's a metaphor for sexuality and for freedom. How do you like that? That makes sense. Definitely. I've got a quote from Alex. The intention of Red Barchetta was to create a song that was very vivid so that you had a sense if you listened to it and listened to the lyrics of the action. It does become a movie. I think that song really worked with that in mind. It was successful with that intention. It's something I think we've tried to carry on, become a little more visual with our music since then. But that one in particular was very satisfying. It was always one of my favorites. I think it's probably my favorite from that album. I like the way the parts knit together. I like the changes. I like the melody of the song. I love the dynamics of it, the way it opens up with the harmonies and creates a mood, then gets right into the driving, right up into the middle section, where it's really screaming along, where you feel like you're in the open car and the music's very vibrant and moving. And then it ends as it began with that quiet dynamic and lets you down lightly. So it picks you up for the whole thing and drops you off at your next spot. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like, have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Go back to dream by by the fireside with your uncle. So... Overall, I mean, I'd have to really think about making this song number one on my list, Jer. Yeah, you say that all the time, Steve. No, no, but seri- no, seriously, if I was, if you were going to hold me to it right now, and I had to pick my favorite Rush song, I think this is it. Right now. Right now. Well, we've just been talking about it, but. Right, we haven't gotten to Limelight yet. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. But this, this is up there. Is this up there for you? Yeah. I remember the first time that uh, when they played this live, when I saw them anyway, I was ecstatic. I, I, I couldn't believe how amazing, I couldn't believe I was hearing it. I don't know. I don't know what, something about this song that is just sticks out among great Rush songs. It's, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, we could talk for another half hour about it, but I, I suppose we should move on. Sure. What do you say we listen to YYZ, Jer? Sounds like a plan. So YYZ, Jer, or shall we call it YYZ? Uh, You know, I'm going to say no. You should not call it YYZ. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Getty and Alex call it YYZ. I don't know if I've ever heard Neil call it anything. Well, I mean, that's just how the letter Z is pronounced in Canada. I'm assuming in, in England as well. I don't know about England. There's no reason for for Americans or non-Canadians and non-English to pronounce it any other way. I mean, I'm going to blow your mind right now, Steve. You're going to blow my mind? Blow it. Yeah. If you're going to pronounce YYZ, then you also have to pronounce Red Barchetta, Red Barchetta. Well. Because that's how it's pronounced in Italian. 
And if you're not going to do that, then you should not say YYZ. Well, I read a quote from Getty that where he admitted he mispronounced Red Barchetta. It right. should have been Red Barchetta. And I believe that if he knew that he was pronouncing it wrong, he would have sung it differently. That's true, but he, he didn't. And, but now that you know that it should be pronounced Red Barchetta, you know, you should pronounce it Red Barchetta, even though no one's going to do that. See, that's different, though, because he says the word Barchetta in the song. In YYZ, no one says Zed or Z. Well, well then that actually, I suppose, is an argument for pronouncing it the way you want to pronounce it or the way that you pronounce it in your own language. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think Canadians should say Z. Yeah. Americans should say Z. And uh, whatever other country you're in, say it however you like. Say it however you like. I mean, I found, an, an, uh speaking of you know, Rush is a band blog. Oh, yeah. We interviewed Ed not too long ago. He actually, I found a little article answering this question. Is it pronounced YYZ or YYZ? Oh, great. This is, so this was a long time ago. This is 2006. And I'll just read you what, what's written here. Okay. It says the Rogers Yahoo high-speed internet site has a feature called the Answer Man where people send in questions and he answers them. The latest batch includes a question regarding Rush and YYZ. So that was what Ed wrote. This is what the quest, question and answer is. Question. My friends and I were having a small argument about the song YYZ by Rush. In the song's name, is it said YYZ or is it YYZ? And the answer man says, you're probably not going to like this answer, but I would have to say it depends. If you're from the U.S., it's YYZ. If you're not, but you're a native English speaker, then it's YYZ. The fact that YYZ is used as the title of the song does not confer upon it one immutable worldwide pronunciation, particularly since the song is an instrumental and does not even contain the words. If, on the other hand, Rush had used a unique pronunciation like is and had sung it with the lyrics, I would suggest that the proper pronunciation would be is and not Zed. Okay. So since it's not pronounced in the song, just say it the way you would say it in your own language. Okay. Well, I wasn't trying to spur a crazy argument. I was just goofing around at the beginning there. <laughs> well, you know, that, well, you know, there is, there are, there are arguments. I've heard, I've read people online saying it's Zed. It's pronounced Zed. I don't know if they're joking. It's hard to tell. Well, but a lot of times people will say YYZ and they'll be like, by the way, it's pronounced Zed. It's like, no, it's, it's not pronounced Zed. I think people say that because that's the way Getty and Alex pronounce it. So they probably assume that that's the way you're supposed to pronounce it. Right. But it, that would make sense if we didn't have the letter Z <laughs> also <laughs> and we pronounce it Z. <laughs> uh. If it was a different letter entirely, yeah, sure. Pronounce it that way because there's no other way to pronounce it. So uh, there's a little bit more. Okay. As a parallel, the Rush song Tom Sawyer is pronounced something like Tom Sawyer in England, even though it's pronounced Tom Sawyer in Canada. This doesn't mean that English or Canadian pronunciation is wrong. That's just the way we talk, right? Very true. Rush is a Canadian rock band and all the members were born in Canada, so we can assume that they pronounce it YYZ. Also, YYZ is the international airport code for Toronto's Lester B. Pearson Airport and it is referred to as YYZ more often than YYZ, but these are just three letters and not an actual word. They should be pronounced however your native language dialect normally pronounces them, with YYZ considered 
slightly more correct. So do you think you convinced the Z people that we're allowed to say Z? No, they'll still correct. <laughs> they'll still correct us. I haven't been corrected. We've mentioned YYZ quite a few times and no one has corrected us. That, that's true. I have seen it online though. People saying Z. I think our listeners are nice people who wouldn't correct us for something like that. We can only hope. Although I'm, <laughs> I'm sure this will open up a can of beans. Well, one thing that's for sure, thankfully, Rush was not from our area because then the name of this song would be EWR, which would be <laughs> awful. That's the Newark that airport does not code. roll off the tongue. <laughs> I still, I don't even get why that's the, the code for Newark anyway. I know EWR, those three letters are in Newark, but. I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, I guess N-E-W was probably taken already by, <laughs> by some other better city. <laughs> i never uh, thought about that uh yeah but anyway anyway are we gonna, so so you know there's not much to talk about there's not much to talk about well from my point of view there's no lyrics yeah but it's it's one of the greatest instrumental songs ever created that's true there's not much to talk about all right listen can you cut that out though <laughs> <laughs> People well, are going to be really well, mad at me. First for of that. all, I have to point out again that it was nominated for Best Rock Instrumental at the 1982 Grammys yep. and lost to the far inferior <laughs> Police's Behind My Camel. I know. I mean, I love the police. Don't get me wrong. I love them. So do I. That song is not good. No. It's just not. It's just boring. It's boring. It's a throwaway. They probably had to fill like three minutes or something of the album and figured, let's just play something. Right. Unlike Rush, when they had to do it, they wrote New World Man. Right. <laughs> Not behind my camel. I mean, I think even the police would tell you that YYZ should have beaten them for the Grammy. Absolutely. If you plug Sting into a lie detector, I think he would admit that. <laughs> that would be a sight. <laughs> <laughs> what plugging sting into a lie detector yeah just walking into is a that room the first question you'd ask him <laughs> just walking into a room and seeing sting hooked up to a lie detector and that would be the only question you ask him <laughs> do you think do you really think that behind my camel should have won a grammy over yyz and he'd be like it's yyz oh man no sting he's british right yeah you think they pronounce it Zed also? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So this song, and it's only four minutes and 18 seconds, something crazy like that? It seems so much Doesn't longer. It? And I, I don't mean it in a bad way, like, oh, my God, this song is so long. There's just, it's so much, there's so much in this song going on. There is so much there. So many different sections. So the opening riff that we know so well, that is the Morse code of YYZ. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. That's how they got the idea. They would hear the Morse code at the airport and that rhythm stuck in their head. Yeah. And they created this song based on that Morse code. These are people who are thinking musically all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I don't even, I've never even noticed if I've ever heard Morse code, it, you know, who knows? Do they play it on airplanes? I have a slice idea. I'm not listening for it. Maybe in the airport. I don't know. Yeah. But then to use it yeah, it's, in the songs, first with the, with the drums, with the, I don't know if it's a bell. What is, is he hitting the cymbal? Yeah, I think so. And then everybody else comes crashing in. It's crazy. 
It is crazy. And it's played in 10-8 time, that portion of the song. (laughs) 10-8. Man, I wish I understood musical theory. (laughs) But the thing is, the whole song, I mean, it's intended to sound as if you're going through the airport, you're getting on the plane, you're flying, and then you're landing, and then you're at the airport again. Yep. I mean, it's just like Jacob's Ladder. You know, even though if you didn't know the song was about, you know, an airplane ride, you know that it's a, about going somewhere. Like you could feel the energy, you can feel the movement within the song. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part is the part where we're flying, the keyboard part. Yeah. And you could just feel yourself soaring through the air. We should play a little bit of that right now. Yeah. It's just incredible, really. Yeah. Just the fact that they created this masterpiece right. in four minutes. Right. And it, the way it ends, too, is it, it's almost like a relief. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're done with your... Because even if you're not afraid to fly, some landings can be kind of scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not, as, they're not all smooth. Some of them, some, sometimes it's smooth, but it bounces a little bit. And so this is just like, you know, bum, 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 bum. It just kind of stops all of a sudden because you finally have some relief. And another amazing guitar solo by Alex. I know I say this with every song, but yeah, the solo is crazy. It is. The thing I didn't know, I always thought it was glass breaking. No, that's what I thought. You know, you hear that glass breaking. It's actually the sound of wind chimes tied to a two by four slapped against a wood table. That was going to be my second guess. <laughs> Apparently, the band confirmed this fact in an interview on WNEW in New York back in 2002. Wow. I always thought it was glass breaking. Yeah, so did I. It sounds like glass breaking. Yeah. I don't have any wind chimes or else I would try that out. But I love that. I love listening to this song with headphones and just hearing hearing that sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the separation in this song, right, between the instruments, so clear. Yeah. And, and there is, you know... Like you said with uh, Red Barchetta, there is interesting silence in this song, right? When Getty's playing the bass or whatever. Yeah. At the end of his one little solo, you know, like the, the hit of the, the hi-hats at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hit of the, the cymbals at the end. Just amazing. It, it really is. It's crazy. And, you know, live, you know, they used to, Neil used to do his drum solo during this song. Yes. At least for a while they did. Which made it considerably more than four minutes and 24 seconds. Yeah, that's true. But I, you know, I loved it because, you know, he would do this this incredible, obviously his his solos were like gymnastic, right? And, you know, he would almost like seamlessly kind of bring his solo back to the song and then they would just kind of jump back into the song. It's crazy. Another thing I wanted to mention, have you ever seen, there's a video on YouTube. I don't know if it's the official video for the song or not, but you can see all three of the band members playing this song. 
It's so complicated. This song is so complicated. I don't think I've ever seen that. Just watching Alex play the guitar parts, watching Getty play the bass parts. This has to be one of the most complicated bass songs ever. Mm, I haven't seen I'll try to track that down. I couldn't possibly play this song on the bass. Well, not with that attitude, Steve. Uh, Well, seriously. (laughs) But the drum parts are are complicated as well. I mean, it's just so complicated for all three of them. And I know. And apparently it came together pretty quickly, which I find amazing. What do you mean came together quickly? Hang on. I've got a quote here. So again, this is from the loudersound.com article that I quoted for Tom Sawyer. So they were talking about how Tom Sawyer was so difficult. And when they finally nailed it, they were so happy. And then Getty says, well, there were other songs that came together more easily. YYZ was one. Neil and I wrote it one day when, for some reason, Alex wasn't around. Neil and I just went out to the Barnetless studio where the gear was set up, and we started putting YYZ together as a bass and drum jam song. Then Al came in and added his licks, and before you know it, the song was finished. (sighs) That's crazy town. I mean, it's nuts. I don't think Alex is credited for writing this song, one of the few Alex doesn't get a credit on. I don't know why. I mean, his guitar parts are great. I've, you know, I've always wondered that, how some, why some people get credit for writing songs and then they don't. I mean, I, when people write songs, I'm assuming they're not writing every part for every song. This isn't like a, like a composer, right? No, but I guess the song was basically complete before Alex even was a part of it. I don't think it mattered as far as Rush is concerned, though, because they oh, yeah. split off all the profits equally between the three of them, no matter who wrote what. Yeah. But I'm sure it wouldn't matter. I guess it doesn't, but he's not listed as one of the writers. Yeah. It just says music, Getty Lee and Neil Peart. Hmm. That's it. Well, we certainly can't undervalue Alex's contribution. Oh no, no way. And I don't think Getty and Neil would either. No. So some of the bands that perform this song live, Godsmack, Primus, Dream Theater, Muse. Muse? Yeah. I love Muse. I got to find that. Yeah. And Getty and Alex performed it with Taylor Hawkins at a Foo Fighters show. I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah, I've seen In that. Toronto in 2008. That's kind of cool too. Yeah. I think I remember reading um, afterwards, you know, backstage after the show or whatever, um, He Taylor Hawkins approached Getty and Alex and said, you know, how did I do or whatever. And I think <laughs> Getty said... You were playing a little too fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Taylor Hawkins is such a huge Rush fan. He must have been just over the moon to be able to do that. He's a great drummer, too. Oh, yeah. But I can see playing too fast, though. He was just so excited to do it that he just probably just was going crazy. And another thing, which I didn't find, I'm going to have to dig this up. In 2008, Neil performed it with bassist Jeff Berlin with the what? Buddy Rich Band. What? Yeah. It was part of the Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship Concert Series. I read this somewhere. I've got to wow. dig that up and find that. Yeah, that's... Oh, man. I don't know if you know who Jeff Berlin is, but he is a great, great jazz bassist. I do not know who he is. He's, he's really good. He could totally do it. Is he like a jazz guy? Unlike me, he could do it, yes. <laughs> but that's another one to dig up if you're looking for versions of yyz to check out yeah and another thing i read which i thought was interesting is this song became a lot more popular after it was in guitar hero 
Really? Yeah, it was the final song. I forget which version of Guitar Hero it is. I actually have it. It was the last song, the final song. Like you'd build your way up. Oh, wow. You play all those difficult songs. And if you got through all those difficult songs, you'd play, you get to play YYZ. Wow. In a 2011 interview with The Plain Dealer, I think that's a newspaper in Cleveland. Yep. He said the song's use in the video game opened up a whole new fan base for Rush. He said, it's interesting how that song has been reborn through video games like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. We're getting all these 11, 12, and 13-year-old kids coming to our shows because they discovered our music through those games. And I think one of the big reasons is YYZ. What year was that? 2011. That's the interview. I wonder, because you remember we were talking about how suddenly at Rush shows we started seeing families with kids. That, That must be the reason why, right? That could have been it. That could have been it. We saw them at Jones Beach on the on the time on the time machine tour. There were a lot of kids there. Well, also I think it's parents who wanted their kids to see Rush. Yeah, but the kids have to be fans. I'm sure they were exposed to it through rock band. I never thought about that. Yeah. Interesting though. One of my biggest regrets is not taking my son to see Rush that last tour. I know. He was, I think, nine. So it was kind of borderline. But looking back. I probably should have brought him. Yeah. Just so he could say that he saw Rush. My daughter was way too young. That wouldn't have worked. Yeah. My older daughter uh, likes Rush. I should have brought her too. Something else to regret, Steve. (laughs) Just one more thing to regret. Just add it to the list. Well, what I don't regret is us talking about Red Barchetta and YYZ for almost an hour. Yeah. Wow. Another great segue. (laughs) I'm filled with him, Jar. I've got, I've got tons. Yeah, and look, and we did have a lot to say about YYZ. I was wrong. See, you were wrong. What, you were just going to say, okay, there's YYZ, let's wrap it up. Yeah, bing, bang, boom. There's plenty to talk about. One of the greatest songs Rush ever created. I don't know what I'm talking about, Steve, you know. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the RushCast. Email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Let us know. YYZ, YYZ, do you care? One more thing before we go, Jar, wanted to do a shout out to one of our Twitter followers, Kyle Nish. He's the creator of those awesome Rush decals I got in the mail. Remember I gave you one? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did a really nice thing for me. Well, he, he didn't. He was going to do a really nice thing for me. I thought that I lost the decals in the mail and I emailed Kyle and said, hey, I, did, I never got them. So he said, oh, I'll, I'll send you a couple more. No big deal. And right after I sent the email, my neighbor came by with mail that he had gotten mistakenly. Oh. And I got the decals. Right. So then I emailed Kyle and said, don't worry about it. But he was so nice that he was going to send me the decals anyway. I figured I'd, I'd give him a shout out here on the podcast. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. And very cool Rush decals. You can follow him at Grandpa Progweed on Twitter. Now that, that's a... That's a Twitter handle. That is a Twitter handle. And he's got lots of cool rush decals. So if you want a decal for your car, go to Kyle. He's the man. And Jer. Yes. I hope the quote isn't from YYZ. (laughs) Because that would be typical you. You know, I I was going to do that, but I'm not going to do that now. (laughs) I was going to say, you were going to say, set me up. What's the quote? And I would be like, it's from YYZ and just sit in silence for (laughs) me. Were you really going to do that? Yeah, I was. Thanks, oh, thanks for man, ruining. I ruined it for you. It's, of course, from 
Red Barchetta. Awesome. At the one-lane bridge, I leave the giant stranded at the riverside, race back to the farm to dream with my uncle at the fireside. Let's go do that right now. Yeah. Take it easy. See ya. See ya.